Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wish you a, a wide audience, but, you know, for this episode, you know, I feel like maybe people will turn it off a couple minutes in and that's okay with me. <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Luke Geddes. Luke Geddes holds a PhD in comparative literature and creative writing from the University of Cincinnati. Originally from Appleton, Wisconsin, he lived in Cincinnati and now lives in Milwaukee. He's the author of, author of the novel Heart of Junk, the short story collection I Am a Magical Teenage Princess, and his writing has appeared in Conjunctions, Mid-American Review, Hayden's Ferry Review, Washington Square Review, The Comics Journal, Electric Literature, and elsewhere. Welcome, Luke. Welcome. Hello, it's uh, wonderful to be here. I I feel like I've been such a fan of yours for years, um, but I've never. Oh, really? This is the first I'm hearing of it. My bad. I like to save it until the very end. You know. I do think that there's something to be said. You know, we don't have a lot of like quiet fans anymore. Like everyone's always like having to like tell everyone how much they love each other's work. That's right. It's like I, I'm I sick like of to it. imagine, you know, a bunch of people I know nothing about <laughs> who have never talked to me, who who like don't exist to me, but are still like, you know, huge admirers of, of my work. To We're me, that's there. like the ideal relationship between, <laughs> you know, creator and the audience. It is nice because you never have to worry about like what we'll say that you have to then interpret. We just never it's say like, anything. Sometimes you'll get it, you know, if you get it, I don't get a lot of these. I think I get fewer than anyone in the world, um, but like a fan email. And then it's just like, oh man, now I have to respond to this fan email. <laughs> and it's like, it's usually just like someone who's like, oh, I liked your book. And then, you know, my reply is like even more complimentary, even though I don't know who they are or anything about them. But it's just like, I have to like, I have to pay it back and I, mm-hmm. I just go way overboard. Like this was a beautiful fan email you sent me. Like you are the person who should be receiving the fan mail. <laughs> well, I mean, I can relate. Like Except you... for the guy who uh, who said at the end of the, the nice email that it seemed like 
I had a deadline and that the book really rushed through the end. Oh my God. <laughs> that was at the end of like a nice email. Oh, God. I like nicely, my coworker asked me for a copy of daddy's and I was like, you know, here you go. Like, thanks for asking or whatever. And he read it and he like, was like, I have some feedback. So oh, let God. me know when it's good to like meet up and talk about it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that- never. <laughs> That's a weird, that's, that's very weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God bless him. But at least, I mean, I feel like that person's still in like the top percentile of like random, sorry about the dog barking of, of random people asking to read your work is that he actually like read it. Yeah. It's yeah, just he that he read it in the worst possible way. <laughs> he read it and he was like, ugh. God. <laughs> Um, one person that read your work and loves your work is Roxanne Gay, who in her by the book said that I'm a magical teenage princess was her favorite book no one has ever heard of. That see, I'm glad you put it that way, because sometimes people like uh like if they have to introduce me at a reading or something, will say like, Oh, Roxanne Gay said this was one of her favorite books. Like they take out that no one has ever heard of part. <laughs> And to me, like, that's the, that's the most important part. That's the best part. Do you think she was assuming things? This is a big assumption, right? Oh, no, it wasn't. If you saw like how much that book sold, it's not an assumption at all. (laughs) It's a fact. It's an absolute, it is an absolute fact. And to me, like, you know, I, I like books that no one has ever heard of. So it's like, I can only aspire to write books that no one has ever heard of. Can you return the favor to an author right now and say your favorite book no one's ever heard of? Oh, uh-huh. man, it's a such a great question. Uh, that's really hard. Well, you know what? I'm just looking at my bookshelf here. There's this book. It's, uh, it's called Hadley Lee Lightcap by Sam Sweet. So you this made that like, up? It, it's a, yeah i mean if you saw the book it's got it's a really nice cover it's got like indents for the letters but it's like mostly plain white this is a it's a biography of this this band that no one's ever heard of called acetone oh and my God. uh you know it's like self-published basically right which is always like a little dicey but it's like oh it's 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 amazing it's like an amazing it's not just about this band it's like about the history of like surf culture in California it's about like conceptual art and just how this band was like this nexus point for like all these different things that happened and how this is like a classic like tragic story of a band that like should have been and had like everything going for it to be like a big successful band and like every terrible thing that could happen within a band including like the suicide of the band leader happened Ugh. Oh, it's, it's, and it's, to me, this should be like, I mean, it's too good to be uh, in the 33 and a third store uh, series. It should be, it should be like its own thing that everyone reads, even people who don't care about this band, because it's, it's incredibly well written too. What else has, has Sam Sweet written other things? It's a really mysterious thing too, because there's just like this, I had, I know nothing about this guy, but he has like a website. And it's just like this book and then these like other little books that he put out that I haven't read. Like I'm my uh, imagination is like he's some like millionaire, like hobbyist who just like puts out these books that like nobody reads. 
which is like the ideal career, I think. That's yeah, and also Sam Sweet, not his real name, right? I I feel like I did a little research and it was his real name. What the website is cool. Like this is yeah. This is this like is awesome. it's like someone who like knows what they're doing and knows what they are, but it's like I don't the the book got a little bit of traction, the acetone book because um like it was paired with like a reissue of their music but then like everything else it's just like I don't even it's such a mysterious thing I don't it's sort of like that um there's that guy who's like sending his random like um booty. yeah, yeah. Right. It's sort uh-huh. of, it feels kind of like that yeah and it's on this thing called all night menu and all night menu is a history of Los Angeles told in five installments each booklet contains eight addresses each address reveals a different strand of LA culture. By the end of the series, there will be five volumes and 40 stories drawn from all time periods, subcultures, and sections of the city. The first four volumes were released between 2013 and 2022. The fifth and final volume will be released in 2023. This website is crazy. Like, this website is fucking awesome. I'm clicking around it. There's like a clip from Tulane Blacktop and one of these, like, like a piece of short fiction. There's like, this is fucking batshit crazy it's sam sweet.info let's get this guy on the line let's right sam come on the pod sam what see if his phone number's on his website man luke that was a great answer to the question i thought you know the way you started i was like man he's gonna fumble this but you you, you handled well well thank you i'm glad i'm sure like all my like friends will be like well why didn't you i don't have that many friends first of all but i'm sure my like one or two friends will be like you should have talked about my book no no this but, is uh, clearly the right answer well it's like i want to like pull in like a stranger no one's ever heard of so there you go I think, yeah, is sam sweet a woman i don't think so because there's Picture. a little bit of autobiography i mean if sam sweet was a woman that would be a mind blower for me because uh, that's just another like piece of information I don't know about this mysterious figure. Well, we should. There's an email. We should just send an email and say, "Hey, you were mentioned on this podcast." I know I they're had in... to email them to get the book because it was like sold out at the time. They're in the. They have some stuff in the Paris Review. Okay, yeah. so they're connected. They're an insider now. We're not interested anymore. <laughs> yeah, the fuck Sam Review. Sweet. They're in the New York Times magazine. Okay, forget uh, it. Fuck you, the, I know that I know the New York Times thing was just in conjunction with the reissue of the acetone compilation. And I remember the New York Times was a little dismissive of the book as like, <gasps> oh, here's this like extra thing that you can get with this record when it's like a beautiful thing that stands on its own, in my opinion. I I'm going to get a copy of it. I'm excited to read it. It's good. And it's like, you know, I don't usually listen to music when I read like prose fiction, but it's like, like number one, like you don't need to listen to the music while you read it. Cause like the way you describe, like it's, it's like the most precise and accurate description of music, not just the band's music, but their influences, but it's also like, it's a you know it's a vibe it's a vibe kind of book too or like you can really listen to that you can put on the album and you know really vibe out while you read about it it's awesome i think sam sweet is on a la review of books podcast from 2015 okay that sounds about that sounds right yeah and um 
yeah, he seems like a normal person. <laughs> well, that's a that's a disappointment. <laughs> He's wearing two shirts in his picture, though. So I mean, you know, two collars. He's got like a sweater and a shirt underneath. Mm, I love a two collar if the shirts are of the same thickness. Like if you're wearing a flannel shirt and then another flannel shirt and it's two collars, it just tells me everything I need to know about you. And that is that I love you. See, I I wouldn't expect that from Sam Sweet because that doesn't sound very Californian. Good point. (laughs) Okay. We have delayed the inevitable long enough. Luke, it's time for you to read. Do you have the tape ready? (laughs) I got the, yeah, I've got the tape ready. Cool. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm just gonna read a part of the the novel, uh, and it's gonna be pretty quick because I, as I was saying before, I'm I'm not a huge fan of reading my own work. I think of myself as an imperfect vessel for it, but uh, I'm just gonna read a few paragraphs from a part of the the book. It's set in an antique mall, like a multi dealer antique mall. Um, the book is called Heart of Junk. And it's got a bunch of different characters in it, different point of view characters. And this uh, section is in the point of view of a character named Ellie, who is like the teenage daughter of the owners of this antique mall. And for various reasons, like instead of going to college, she has to stay home and work at the antique mall. Okay. Uh, So I'll start now. This place was a graveyard. Ellie's parents had owned it since as long as she could remember, and she'd worked here off and on since she was 13. But recent years had seen the heart of America in decline. In some booths, the same merchandise had been sitting out for so long that it literally moldered. Except in Hall 1, where the most steadfast and well-to-do dealers had always clustered, Walking the aisles brought you past the empty spaces and dust impressions of once reliable renters gone AWOL. Her parents had recently let go of all the full-time employees, forcing Ellie to fill in for an entire workforce and cut the store's hours by a third. Ellie did not pay much attention to current events. Wichita was so culturally isolated from the rest of the world, it didn't seem like anything on a national scale would ever penetrate it but it probably had something to do with what was called the financial crisis by the pixie-haired cable news anchor Keith Watch Knightley and on whom he seemed to have a schoolboy crush. Either that or the customers had awoken one day to the epiphany that they'd been spending their hard-earned money on what was essentially garbage. She never admitted to them, but when her parents used to bring her here as a kid, there'd been a magical quality to it like the underground caverns in the My Secret Princess cartoons, full of hidden treasure and harboring its own population of misfits and eccentrics. But now during the slow hours, it felt outright post-apocalyptic, abandoned by all but the, the small cohort of plaintive losers who considered themselves Heart of America regulars. Keith sat on his stool at the opposite end of the counter and took an indecent bite out of a stale crawler and chugged coffee from a crusty old mug featuring the comic strip character Ziggy, a depressive endomorph. Ziggy reminded Ellie of Keith. 
Ellie, he said tentatively, and just the tone he'd used four or five different times to explain the best thing for the whole family right now was for her to postpone her going away plans and stick it out in Wichita. Are you all right? No, she was not all right. Not as long as she was awake and conscious of what her life had become. She recalled a Health Channel special on the sex lives of Siamese twins. In it, sisters who shared half a skull held hands with their respective husbands, lumpy, acne-scarred men who glared at the camera with pride and embarrassment while explaining the mechanics of conjoined intercourse. When it's their turn, one sister said, I just tune it all out, let my mind enter into a place of nothingness. Ellie lacked such a talent, but fortunately there were substances that could achieve similar ends, and she'd need them to get through this shift. Okay, that's all I'll read. So you never like read your work. Do you do you ever read it out loud to yourself when you're writing? Um, I do in kind of a mumbly way. I, and I've read my work. I, I read my work sort of when I have to. Uh, so, uh, um, but like if I can do something else for like an author appearance, like a Q&A or just like a weird random talk, I usually do that. Um, but you know, I, I you know, I respect the reading hustle. I respect readers. Uh, <laughs> but it's not it's not my it's not my favorite thing to do. Uh I'm I agree with you. I I like being at readings if I can be towards the back and there's something to drink, but the actual reading part is my least favorite part. So I can I can relate to that. Yeah, I feel like it's like you know, sometimes you go see a band or whatever, and it's like, you know, I'd say like one out of like 10 times or like one out of five, if you're being more generous, it's like, it's good and you can get into it and the sound is good and it, you're not distracted. But then like the other times you just sort of go out as a way to like be there. And it's like the stuff before and after is really, uh, you know, the, the, the main event. Yes. And I think with readings, that's like, almost like 100% of the time it's just like and so I don't understand why I don't understand why there's readings it should just be the stuff before and after (laughs) (laughs) has there ever been a reading that you like that you were like okay that there was a purpose for that I enjoyed that yeah there were a couple one you know I saw uh Tom Drury and you know I'm like very very familiar with his work and the way he read it was like just like here's a bunch of here's a bunch of short funny parts like here's one scene here's another scene <laughs> and he didn't really worry too much about like setting it up and or like you know doing like a long um self-contained narration it was just like here are some of the hits and I thought that was good um and I saw uh Jenny Awful oh, cool. read from Department of Speculation in a way that like totally changed my mind about the book you know I thought the book the book sort of was lukewarm for me as like a reading experience but then hearing it read aloud made me like really appreciate what it was and what it was doing so that was like kind of a lucky one to go go to what is it that she did I just think that the um I think you know I think you know number one like I approached the book 
in a ungenerous way of like, oh, here's another one of those like um, <laughs> fragment books, fragmented books, you know, possibly like veiled autobiography or whatever. But the um, the reading, the the live reading was like um, it it really revealed, I think, and emphasized like the intimacy of the book. Mm. Uh, and so, and it's interesting too because like neither one were like what I would call like your sort of like superstar like Hollywood charisma style readers. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know who would like probably like a Neil Gaiman type or something. Like it wasn't <laughs> they were just like people who like read their book pretty. They didn't do like reader voice or poet voice, but they That's were pretty. The, yes, That's yeah. the key right there is not to do that voice. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's the key. That's like the first part, but then the second, it's really hard actually to like, I think read in your own actual voice. Mm-hmm. And I think they both did to certain degrees. I on purpose read, I, the only thing I think is read slow <laughs> and <laughs> I deliberately read slow because I went, when I'm at a reading, I have trouble following anything that is being said. And I'm just like, I want this to be slower. And also I don't like me personally. I just don't like the idea of performing the writing, which I know is probably like antithetical to the way a lot of people approach it. But I just, I'm like, I'm like, I am literally going to read this. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, to me, that's the best, the best reading you can do. Uh, I, you know, I just, I would again say like, I'm just not a good listener at readings. Like, even if it's something like I'm, I've already read, I'm familiar with, or like something I'm interested in. I'm, I know that I'm just going to, my mind's going to wander and I've lost it all. So I just go and to me, it's like a meditative thing. Like, I'm just going to sit there. I'm really good at like looking attentive, <laughs> but I'm really there for like, you know, chatting with the author for two minutes afterwards or, or talking to the people around me the few minutes before right but actual reading is is not that important to me because i know that i'm just not going to listen i'm not going to i'm going to lose track of it yeah i will say but i exception- shouldn't give away my secrets now no, every time do. i go to a reading everyone's going to be like this asshole's not even no listening. this motherfucker he's not oh, even listening motherfucker luke gettis god Listen, anyone in Milwaukee doing readings and start incorporating pop quizzes. (laughs) You were just going to say start incorporating Luke. (laughs) Do you like audiobooks? Uh, No, for the same reason. It's like I can't. I can't. You're just not uh, like an audio. Yeah. Okay. I listen to podcasts because you can, you know, if you miss a few words, you just keep going. But if it's like a a narrative i don't want to miss anything mm-hmm. that's why we do podcasts because you know you you miss miss all few, of it. yeah you miss a few words it's like mm, eh, whatever the best <laughs> a podcast can be is a c minus so i guess we're still here oh my god <laughs> if i could do if i could like fold my laundry and do dishes at a literary reading i could probably pay more attention to it you know what that is a good idea you bring your dirty dishes and you just fucking go to town and you have a little soundproof. I mean, we're used to like the contained spaces now, COVID forever. So you just get like a little booth and uh, yeah, you do, the, you do the plates, the mugs and so on. 
that would be that's my ideal audience i think i would yeah. be flattered to see yeah. that i would love to attend that with you just next booth over i feel like there was a brief period of time where everyone accepted that like readings can be torturous and boring and everyone made did their best not to be torturous and boring but i feel like it's swinging the other way <laughs> i feel like you're right about that yeah i mean yeah you ran a reading series forever that had a whistle to get people to fuck off <laughs> yeah. i mean coming from you this is funny it's funny that you just like presented it that way i feel like there was a time when... <laughs> but we weren't the only ones i mean you know like it was happening it was happening all over the nation <laughs> <laughs> everyone had their goddamn whistle out there's a there's a real like as soon as i don't know why people don't just admit this and recognize this as like a whole community of writers but like there's a recess feeling the second the the reading ends everyone is, is so like true. so much happier there's energy in the room and it's like <laughs> why don't why don't we recognize that like that's where the energy is you're torturing like, people god it's so true recess feeling that's such a great way to put it <sighs> yeah i've noticed i have noticed like the few I've been doing some events at this local bookstore with um, writers coming through with their books and, um, and it's been straight conversation. Like it used to be like, you're going to read a little bit or whatever, but now it's just, I think, I think we've stopped torturing people. (laughs) But yeah, that's the other interesting thing is when I did the tour for my novel, I said like, I don't want to read, you know, if you can find, you know, authors or whoever who wants to do like a Q&A, like I'd much prefer that. And my the publicist was like, oh, that's, you know, that's interesting to hear. Actually, you know, we know that, you know, audiences and readers actually like the Q&A format a lot more than straight readings mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. And that just made me think, well, why does anyone do readings then? This should stop. I think it's like you're saying, it's it's a chance to hang out with each other. You can like hang a, out with each other without having a reading. That's true, but it's also I, a way for us to like kiss each other's asses, right? <laughs> like, oh, I was so moved. Well, no, I guess no one's ever kissed my ass after a reading. That's probably why I don't like them. Wow. Listen, when's your next reading? <laughs> it's actually in like a week and a half. So. Oh my, oh my god! Way to bury yeah. the lead, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, we would publicize it on here, but this ain't coming out till like October. So that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad of that. <laughs> Luke shows up, sees an empty room, leaves. <laughs> I've seen it. I saw some empty rooms at on uh, the book tour, or almost empty. So wasn't it? Wasn't it during the pandemic, like early days pandemic? Your book came out in January 2020, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, I I always would say like I had the last book tour because, <laughs> uh, like as soon as like the it was there were like a couple legs of the book tour, and as soon as like the last thing I did is like number one, like I probably got COVID from book tour, and oh, like God. number two is like the pandemic like really started like two weeks after I was done with my book tour. Oh my god. god how long was your like where did you go on your book tour how involved was it well there was like um there was like a a leg of like four four ish four or five like things that i drove to so there was like the hometown cincinnati reading and then some other places in driving distance like um ann arbor and um 
Toledo, you know, all the huge stops, uh, <laughs> the Toledo, Perrysburg, Ohio, <laughs> the Cincinnati reading. And then there were some places I flew to, uh, like um, Denver and uh, St. Louis and uh, Dallas. And then there was a, one more event I did a, a, like a couple of weeks after that in Oxford, Tennessee. So they really kept me out of like the, the coast. They were like, the you know, the New York City people, the California people, they don't they don't want anything to do with a country <laughs> bumpkin like you. <laughs> and a book that's set in Wichita. That Oh, the Wichita reading, of course, was, you know, a real uh, throwdown. <laughs> What's your ideal relationship to your fans? Ideal relationship? Do you want me to repeat what I said before? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like you can just slice it in, but it ha- you know, I, I like the idea of like people who basically don't exist to me. I never interact with them. Um, I never hear from them. They don't write emails to me, but I know there's like a huge mass. Of so how do you science. know? How do you know? That's, well, I think there's, there's something to be said for like the, the unknown part of that. It's like, if they don't make themselves known, they could there's the potential that they could number in like the millions (laughs) (laughs) how many readers exist in the world right now it can't be a million it's got to be like the number i keep hearing is twenty thousand. yeah (laughs) twenty thousand people that know how to read i mean yeah it's not a lot it's not a lot really not a lot if i mean possibly like they're you know they're illegally downloading copies of the book because it probably doesn't they don't show up in sales like that's how that's how silent unseen a majority they are it's like they don't even want me to know that they're buying the book or even checking it out from the library that's how devoted they are to your just idiosyncrasies i guess that's how silent they are that's that how is the best they're just dead they respect silent. yeah they respect boundaries big time they invent boundaries and then they actually exceed the limits of those boundaries i feel like this should have a name like morgellons but you know for for <laughs> invisible fans <laughs> no they're fans. ifs 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 yes ifs. <laughs> i have a case of the ifs which is great I, who wouldn't well, want that my God. everyone is just so public with like expressing the things that they like and you know maybe they should just keep their mouth shut okay but there's like <laughs> there's like people who say those things but they but they're saying them to get attention for themselves right oh yeah course. i guess rather you know, than celebrating nice, it would be nice if like the post office dropped off like an actual physical bag of fan mail that mm. you know i wouldn't have to open or read but it would just like exist Mm-hmm. Or if you just get an if report and it just had a number, a growing number. Oh, that's a good idea. Just in the middle of the page, you know. A graph? No, just a number. Just no. a number. Yeah, just like, you know, 7,000, 1,200. Mm-hmm. Those it's are like two different con- numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be okay. What color paper do you want? Uh,. I want it on black ink on black paper. So I, I'll never oh actually Oh my know. God. Perfect answer. <laughs> oh, this is delightful. Yeah, I'm happy. This is the kind of thing I could do every day. 
Well, we'll do, we could do a daily daily podcast. Yeah, no, it's already we yeah. have it in the calendar. We're just pretending for the audience that it's not already set up. We owe it to your ifs. That's true. Luke, I've asked you questions about this book before, and I read over our interview that we did for Heavy Feather Review, and I thought, God, I love this crazy book. I forgot because it was it was like two years ago, right? That we that we did that. Oh yeah, it's old news. And... It's all in the <laughs> remainder bin by now. Well, that's okay. We like the remainder bin. But um, one thing I hadn't asked you about that I had either ha- you either mentioned in an email or I had read it in another interview you'd done or something was the actual sale of this book um, to Simon and Schuster was kind of a strange series of events and. I, I wanted to, I was just hoping that you could just tell us that story. Uh, okay. I, th- I don't think I talked about it. I haven't done that many interviews for obvious reasons. I think this was just something we talked about is uh, the, I think what you're talking, you're referring to is like, so the, the book was like out on submission. I feel like it was out on submission for a long time. I feel like, you know, including listening to this p- podcast, I feel like authors are always like, Oh, the book was out on submission for three weeks. Those were terrible three <laughs> weeks. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I feel like my book was out on submission for like a year or like oh. many, many months or something. Because yeah. I, and I don't, you know, I, I don't even really know that many of the details because I just asked my agent to like not really tell me anything. I wasn't, unless there was like good news or like, I got, you know, the only thing I got sort of forward to me were sort of like a couple like positive or like kind rejections. Mm-hmm. But I said, like, I really don't want the play by play. I don't even want to know like who it's going to or where it's going to at any wow. given time. I think that's the right way to go. God, we are wired so <laughs> different. I said, send me everything. I want to know everything. <laughs> I did too. And I regret that. <laughs> I, I actually regret it as well. Yeah, I don't know why you I don't I don't understand. Even like getting the positive rejections just like pissed me off. Like even like oh, the course. nicest, kindest, like, you know, blah, 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 but no, it's like, well, to me that just reads like you're talking yourself out of like taking the book to mm-hmm. get, you know, a thoughtful response and then a no. Mm-hmm. Uh so it was out like I don't even understand like it's you know, it still seems mysterious to me because it's like it doesn't seem like there's that really that many places to like send a book, but then there's like, you know, imprint upon imprint that are mm-hmm. under different umbrellas. Um, but it was out and it was like collect, it was actually collecting like a fair amount of uh, like positive rejections, which, you know, I was assured like that that wasn't always the case but it still was like pretty cold comfort because a rejection's a rejection i don't really care how nice it is what Um, were they what were they saying in your rejections uh i don't even i don't know remember any specifics because i'm pretty sure like i just like you know skimmed it in the way that you're like your eyes are like really like gliding over it because mm-hmm. you don't want to take in the 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 content of of what's being said. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what everyone says, like from you know from the bottom of the chain to the top, is like, oh, you know, I love this. This is the greatest book I've ever read in my entire life. 
blah 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 but i don't know how to sell it Mm -hmm. uh so it was probably like stuff along along those lines you're like i don't see the market for it which i you know i appreciate that kind of like cravenly like commercial mindset but to me it's like well you work in literary fiction so you should you should just (laughs) like publish like the trashiest like lowest common denominator stuff if if your goal is to like cater to a market like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so it's absurd it's absurd to like say that you you are interested in literary fiction if your main goal is to like it's like i i you know i really want to sell to five people right uh it doesn't it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me but you know people i think the thing so the anyway i think what alex was was wants you to talk about is the book at the you know the publisher and the editor uh rejected it so it's published by simon and schuster under the editor uh sean manning and hopefully you won't be mad that i mentioned this but i'm sure it'll be okay but it wasn't you know sometimes you'll get a thing where it's like i need you'll get a response that's like i need to think about this it's a maybe Mm -hmm. but i got a response from him that was you know one of these thoughtful responses that at the end is like an unequivocal no. Like mm-hmm. I found much to appreciate about this. You know, I like this and that, but you know, I'm going to pass on it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't ambiguous. It was a definitive no. And then like a couple days later it changed to like, oh, I I've been thinking about it. You know, I've been talking about it with, you know, the other people at the publisher, the imprint and we changed our mind we'll take it oh my god which seems like crazy and to me like that's that's the only way it just seemed like fitting like this is the only way i'll get a yes is like after i've been crushed by a no like i'll (laughs) never have a success or like an acceptance that feels like oh i won the lottery i'm so happy i'll just have a yes or a success that's just like oh i'm relieved of the pain and anxiety I was feeling, but I'm not especially like excited or happy about it. Uh, I've never heard of that happening before. I know it's crazy. And it just, I mean, to me, it just reinforced the feeling of like a lot of rejections that are like positive and detailed being the person talking themselves out of it. Right. Right. I, I can definitely relate to that. I've, I told the story on the on the last podcast, I think, because uh, my book is actually sold, Luke, but we haven't announced it like online or anything. But oh, because awesome. of the but because of the orders of episodes, like we talked about it on the last one. But I had a experience where the the rejection was exactly what you were. Desc- I had several like you like you were describing, where it was like they're talking themselves out of the book, but then the the cruelest one in my opinion one I got and by no means do I think it was intentionally cruel but the impact certainly was was that there was a line in it that said something like I would have bought this a couple years ago when I had time to actually edit books yeah it's like oh god that is so fucked up (laughs) yeah I mean that that seems that seems like extremely uh that does a really good job I think of encapsulating like this point 
in publishing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You're um, like hilarious and your writing is so funny. And I want to know if you think it's easy to write that way or hard to, to write that way. Uh, I think I just I don't know if I would think of it as like easy or hard. I just think I'm not interested in writing that's not funny in some ways. And I, you know, I think I get I feel like, you know, I think your question is good, Lindsay. <laughs> I think I get I think I get a variation on like the humor or like the comic fiction question that often boils down to like, you know, why is this funny? Oh. Where I feel like <laughs> no one no one is ever like, oh, I noticed your book was like totally humorless. It's really like dead serious. Like why <laughs> did you decide to write a book without any sense of humor at all no one ever asked that question but people ask like well why did you write a funny book i wish they would ask people why their books are are not funny but they don't there are you know what you know what the problem is luke they'd have to ask so many people that fucking question that, <laughs> that's right that it just it would take up all their time they'd have to be backtracking into their reading logs and just it's too many people to talk to I'm just curious. I am. I would actually be gen- genuinely curious. Like, oh, I noticed you have like, you know, such a self-serious book. Like, what made you choose? Because you know, being funny is seen as like a choice, which it doesn't really feel like a choice for me. Oh, that's but interesting. Being serious d- isn't seen as like a conscious choice. It's funny though because I feel like I. I'm not going to say all, but I would probably the majority of the books that I finish or read the first four pages of and think, Oh, this is self-serious. A lot of times the, like uh, the echo of that statement is that it feels like a pose. Like it, it feels more, more like a, a, it does feel like a extreme choice to me. A lot of times when these books are so self-serious, it's like, this is my big art moment or like, this is my big genius chance here. And it's like, well, you just, you read like all the other assholes who try to do this. You're not doing it. Yeah. I I think that's true. I find it hard to be funny. Like I, to be funny in the way that you're funny, which is like, um, I don't know, just like truly funny. I I think some of my stuff is funny for like very specific people. (laughs) Your stuff is funny. I mean, that's, sometimes but and i and i you know i would like to be more funny in my writing um but it often goes too far or um like is so particular that it's like a very specific it's like basically my high school friend robbie that would think it was funny (laughs) i I Um, think that i would say first like i think that's like the best kind of like comedy is that kind of specificity mm -hmm. uh I can't remember the other thing I was going to say, but I'm sure it was good. <laughs> I'm sure it was too. <laughs> well, I, oh, I, I, I was oh, or just like, I would say even as a reader, like if, even if I read a book, if I read like a bad self-serious humorless book, like obviously I won't think it's funny, but I often think of most things I read as funny even if like other people don't find them funny. I just mm-hmm. remember a lot of times in like classes, 
like you know boring like literary literature seminars or whatever like i would think books were fun funny or parts of things we were talking about were funny and i just remember a lot of people like looking horrified like mm-hmm. you thought that was funny <laughs> did you used to laugh like when you'd be in trouble with your parents um i didn't really get in trouble i'm i'm a rule follower wow. <laughs> okay good to know I feel like when people admit that, I just don't trust it. <laughs> like, I don't know. It feels crazy to me to say you're a rule follower. It feels like then you're just, it's like a ploy to get away with more. I mean, I respect the move, but it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to take it face value for me. Well, you, I mean, you read that perfectly. Cause that, that is the truth is, you know, I would just not admit to, I wouldn't get in trouble because I wouldn't acknowledge that I did anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um you're so good at like um like collecting ephemera like your instagram i think of it as like a gallery of stuff like of of, um like pop culture and kitsch and like truly wonderful finds that you somehow (laughs) discover um and your art is like that too and your your writing is like the literary embodiment of collage um and and i want to hear you talk about the intersection between like what you're making on the page and what you make with your with your hands um what i uh that's a that's a tough question so you're talking about like the collage art well, even just the way that you see things. Yeah. So the collage art, which is incredible. Um, your Instagram um, and, you know, the things that you write about, it feels like there's, there's this like through line. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'm just, you know, I'm always, it's sort of like, it goes back to sort of where we started, which is like thinking about like, oh, the best, whatever that you've never heard of, or like the the under acknowledge or like obscure things and so I like I often say like oh well you know most of my favorite books are out of print and, you know when I think about that and sort of like face myself you know I wonder is it you know is it that I have such like esoteric taste or is there something about like knowing the fact that it's out of print or like knowing that something is sort of obscure or neglected or like under appreciated like does am I like compelled just on that basis to like become invested and interested in it? Mm-hmm. So I think, it, I mean, it has to do with that. Uh, it has to do with just like, I mean, it mostly has to do with just like watching Nick at night as a kid yes. and just like watching TV, like nonstop or mm-hmm. to me, like I didn't really, I didn't understand like that when you went to a museum and you would go to like a World War II exhibit and everything was in black and white. To me, it was like, oh, this is real history. But when you put on Nick at Night and Bewitched was in black and white, I would be like, this is also real history. Like, I didn't really <laughs> see a difference between like what was just like totally ephemeral and like, you know, as you said, like kitschy and what was like actually like important. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just like all the all the same, all the same stew. Mm. I mean, in a way that is very prescient, like, because if you just think about our culture now, like <laughs> the yeah. only fucking thing people care about is comic book movies that make billions of dollars. And I don't know if it feels connected 
back to a time when like there were people who who understood like a mm, scratch that not understood but it, it just feels like i don't know it feels like some like perverted outgrowth of that in a way to me not that not that i want to connect those things because i love bewitched and i and i don't like marvel movies i, but I feel like it, i mean I, I don't know I, this is dicey territory perhaps but like i feel that uh you know when you look at like i find i can like endlessly watch like a terrible old sitcom not like a full house or like a saved by the bell like i could just like you know even if it's something i didn't grow up on like even taking nostalgia out of it like um you know like i'll watch like those old like um aip like frankie and annette beach movies or like uh mm-hmm. the the movies that elvis made mm-hmm. which it's not like that's like emblematic of my childhood it's from way before I can watch that stuff and I find it that stuff really fascinating, you know, for one, like as like, uh, you know, just to try this from a particular time and place. But I think it's also interesting to see a product like make like the directors and writers of those movies didn't think they were doing anything like great. They knew they were just like churning out like crap for the masses to be disposed right. of. And to me, like, I love that stuff and it's so fascinating and it it reveals itself in ways it didn't intend to. Whereas like the stuff that's sort of disposable pop culture nowadays is produced by people who like take it really seriously and think like it's really like an important feminist message to see She-Hulk dancing or whatever. (laughs) And that's like, so that's not Uh, interesting to me at all. No, that's a great way of putting it. it. I, like my my favorite thing in the world is Adam West Batman. Like Batman sixty six stuff is like that's that's my version of what I could I could watch all the time. And I did grow up watching the reruns, but it's obviously not of my era. And same thing with Green Lantern of that era. But and the thing that I can relate to in what you said is that there was such a sense of fun watching. You watch those episodes less so with Green Lantern, but. And, you know, the guy who created it is also doing the narration on the show. And it's like, there's no reason why someone would do that unless they just wanted to participate and be a part of what is being made and, and can sense it as a made thing. Uh, because it's, it's, it also wouldn't be like an economic decision. And just little things like that, the fact that the sets were so bizarre and, and you know, unique week to week and yet recycled week to week in funny ways and repurposed. And uh, yeah, there is such a sense of it being a made, a made thing. I don't know, which, which I think, I think it's really smart to point out what you said. It's like a, it's like a less, I don't know, sickening enterprise than, than, than what's going on now. And it's not necessarily like the people like making that stuff are like they they were so like dumb or they were so cynical. No, but I think no. there was just like an understanding like okay, this is like this is the candy, you know, and this is like the cultural candy in a in a context where there's also like you know the New Yorker and you know literature. Whereas now it's like, well, we're just gonna you know wrap the like the you know the candy all it's all candy now mm-hmm. right the candy is the only thing if you're gonna get you need to get your like high-minded like uh philosophy from she hulk because you're not also <laughs> also gonna read a book 
I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. But the Marvel fans are already like swarming like my social media, which I don't have very big followings anyway. But come at me. I don't care. <laughs> Can you talk about um, moving from writing short stories to writing the novel um, and back again? Or I'm never going back to short stories. There's no money in it. No. Is there not? Is there money in novels? That's news to me. There's like marginally more money, and it's like some money is better than like zero dollars. Mm-hmm. Actually, like negative money because of like the insane like pay to submit scheme that has been normalized by an awful like sick moribund literary culture. Uh, but anyway, about uh, short stories. Short stories. I've only read short stories for the longest time. I would just read short story collections. I only wanted to write short stories. Uh, and then I think I just really sort of um, overdosed on short stories. I, I'm talking even more as a reader than a writer. Like I really felt like I was seeing the same kind of feeling and the same kind of moves, the same kind of structures in stories. And I think one thing I liked about short stories as a reader was like, I really appreciated the structure, the the um, fine sense of structure they sort of have to have. Um, but I think I got sort of um, overwhelmed with that and the appeal of like a, the, the big formless thing that is a novel. Um, became appealing to me. Uh, I don't know, maybe that's like a lie. I think maybe it was just like, I felt like, oh, I felt like I had to write a novel because that's the thing you have to do. Mm-hmm. But the the novel was almost, desi- it's sort of designed where it's like, I would never in a million years call it a novel in stories and I would like burn it if it had that on it. Because I don't <laughs> think it is a novel in stories and I don't like, the idea of marketing something as a novel and stories. Um, but it, I mean, it changes point of view, like every single chapter and there's like a million characters in it. Um, so I think, you know, you can see a lot of like my coming out of short stories from it because, you know, what I really liked in short stories was writing like beginnings mm. and I didn't really like the middles and I especially didn't like ending as much. And so I felt like the way to get through an entire novel uh, as a writer writing a novel was to like keep writing the first chapter over and over again. So when it changes point of view, it's like, yes, I get to start over. I get to write a new beginning of a story. And then once I had, I don't even remember how many different point of view characters are, but once I had so many, you know, let's say seven or eight um, starts, it's like, well, those beginnings, those chapters and different points of view all introduce stuff that I now have to deal with. So I have like problems to work through. And so you can really see the novel, I think, as, you know, there's chapters in the first half that are like the first half of this character's story. And then in the second half of the novel, here's the second half of that character's story. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, even though I was bad-mouthing the short story as a form and genre, which I would never do, 
um, except when we're talking like flash fiction. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, I mean, I, just, I, sh- I, I share remember... this. I share this with Luke. What, that yeah, you hate I... flash fiction? Just abolish flash fiction. That's what I, I think. That I actually want to change the intro to the show just to abolish flash fiction. No, no music or anything. We just chant that. What about people when people don't even call it like flash fiction? They say like my flash. I'm pleased <laughs> to thing? share. Oh, all the time. I'm pleased oh. to share my latest flash with you. <laughs> I had an idea. I couldn't figure out. I, you know, I'm not like a programmer or whatever. I had an idea for like a Twitter account that would automatically retweet anytime anyone said they were thrilled and honored oh god to to do something or to publish something it would be the the thrilled and honored bot that's oh, good man. i like that also so humble, humble bot can get on it yeah humble and- bot that's good that's a good name for it. <laughs> it there's like this the flash community has been overtaken by like some weenies listen the flash listen the flash community right now <laughs> Not like in I, my day with Flash. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get academic about it necessarily, but I feel like you could make a link to like, there's definitely a capital, capitalistic mindset to like, you know, Flash is like the, the the highest yield form of writing and publication because it doesn't take as long to write. I'm sure some nerd will be like, well, actually, I worked for three years on this Flash, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know it doesn't take so if you, if your goal is to rack up those publications and really pad out that cv <laughs> you would be crazy to write like 10 page stories when you could you could write i mean this is this is fiction writers like discovering what poets have known all along oh like spread those seeds far and wide and keep it short god i like when the the blurbs on the back of a poetry book if you just were to put them in the book it would double the length of the book <laughs> which is usually the case if you ever if you, just next time you pick up a poetry book look how long the fucking blurbs are they are ungodly people you know, should get would... better at blurbs in general because we're all recycling the same shit mm-hmm. and like you should you should be treating it as a like a an opportunity to show that you're a good writer Mm-hmm. we should be allowed to use pictures or yeah like she hulk you know like, like say like, something exciting in an exciting way rather mm-hmm. than like i was moved by the mordant blah 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 you know it's just like can we just be creative I, our- but sometimes you see people like being a little too creative with the blurb don't you ever absolutely you can't win no, you really can't win. The, I feel like all you really they should just have like a list of endorsements and just like name the authors. Pepsi we don't Co. need to hear what they say. Maybe the, it should just be like, do you like sex scenes in Target and <laughs> yes. hot dogs with ketchup? No. And like sunsets where yes. there's a bomb. Then you'll love this book. Done. You yeah, know? That's good. I like that. Or just like list some colors, see if you vibe with those. Fuchsia, teal. Pink. Yeah, there you go. What's the aura of this book? Mm-hmm. That's your new career venture. Luke, you started a record company. Is that right? With your advance for Heart of Junk? Or do I have the order of events wrong here? No, that's right. That's right. I, st- I started a failing record company. 
uh, with my with part of my advance. Yeah. Do you lathe? I don't. Uh, this was a real. This was a real deal uh, plant. I mean, this it started. You know, if if someone has like a really great record that knocks my socks off the way that this record did, I you know I would add it to the roster. Uh, you know, proudly and waste you know more of my personal finances. But mm. you know, this is just a. You know, this is a, an album by you know another sort of. Uh, I would say like weird guy that no one's ever heard of much like the the theme of this episode named benjamin dean wilson i would say for fans of you know a diverse array of artists including um let's say uh randy newman Ooh. um father john misty oh. the kinks oh etc leonard cohen he's definitely a leonard cohen acolyte he's a uh, you know he's really a uh his story, his songs are uh, the best short stories I've, I've heard or read in, in uh, many years. Uh, and so, you know, I, I had, I, I had his first album and he had his second album only on like his band camp. And I just kept looking at this beautiful record that he had for his first album. And I, I asked him like, when's the second album coming out on vinyl? Cause I'm just an idiot who needs to have that on vinyl so i can play it on my setup it's just not the same to click play in that um band camp window and he said oh it's never coming out on vinyl and i said i have money and i don't like having it so let <laughs> me spend money to put this out on vinyl that's amazing Jesus why don't you like Christ. having money uh it's just like you know i feel like it's much better to just spend it just spend it right away I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Uh, you know, why not have something to show for it? Have you always been like that? Uh, I mean, I like things. I like acquiring things and mm -hmm. um, buying things. Yeah. I mean, I, that should be obvious from the book. Even though it's a critique of like, you know, losers whose like only connection to that side world is like the stuff they own it's also like obviously me can we play um fuck mary kill with wichita cincinnati and milwaukee <laughs> yeah it's pretty easy i would say i mean obviously kill wichita <laughs> and uh you know i would have to say mary milwaukee because that's where i live now on a permanent residential basis so it, we would fuck cincinnati which i would feel comfortable doing <laughs> that's how yeah that's how i thought it might shake out i feel like you would have you have to marry the city that you live in unless like you you're not you know you're there on a temporary basis it's a commitment to to live somewhere i mean you lived in cincinnati for 10 years 10 years and I, I love it it's one of my favorite cities it's my favorite kind of city and i would say the same thing about milwaukee but not not so much about wichita but i will say like i think you know the i wouldn't have the book without wichita it was the most interesting experience of my life living in wichita uh and the the wichita the wichita uh response to the book at least in terms of my reading was like very positive people were really happy like just that there was a book set 
where they lived and they took it in good humor uh, and enjoyed the book, except for like one person who like, I haven't looked at many of like the online like user reviews, but I know there was one person at the reading who was like pissed off later on and wrote a bad review of the book for whatever what? reason. <laughs> wow. Jesus. But I was expecting that I was expecting it like a more like universally pissed off response from from Wichita. You thought you were going to meet an angry crowd at the at the bookstore? <laughs> I I thought maybe. I thought there was a chance. You know, not even about the book, but you know, I lived in Wichita for 3 years, right? Did my MFA and I I probably made a fair amount of enemies and you know that would have been a good opportunity for the for the um my enemies to show up. Do you make <laughs> a lot of enemies in your life? I don't think so, but I think Wichita is like a very particular place. And it's it's like I mean the people I was there um in Wichita with like we really feel like you know, this is obviously like very hyperbolic, but we really feel like it's like going off to war. It's like you can't explain what it was like. People will never understand what it was like in Wichita from 2008 to 2011. Uh, and it's just something that can't be shared with outsiders in any way that they'll ever understand. <laughs> All my experiences of Kansas are like, pretty tame so this this is yeah this is surprising information to me well i was talking with my friend who was there about it the other day and we were just talking we just realized like oh it was like full of people who were like late bloomers who like went through undergraduate as just like weird homebodies or like mama's boys so like <laughs> by the time we went to grad school is like we were like emotionally at the level of like an 18 year old going off to freshman year oh my god and we were like in charge of like teaching these 18 year olds but we were like barely emotionally beyond where they were we were probably behind are you working on anything new uh, i am i'm always working on something new um, but I don't really talk about my in-progress stuff a whole lot. Um, but uh, I'm I, I'm working on another novel, obviously, because you have to. You have to keep <laughs> once you do it the first time. Although I, I do feel like the first novel seems like such a fluke that I feel like, uh, you know, it's not a guarantee that my fans will ever, ever get access to the, the second novel. Yes, are hungry. But if they're hungry, yeah, but, you know, they could, you know, maybe they'll be able to, like, uh, check it out at some university manuscript archive, the unpublished second novel someday. Just hitting up that JSTOR. JSTOR or, <laughs> uh, you know, illegallibrary.ru, probably your best bet. Okay. Maybe Sam Sweet can help you. There you go. I mean, this is the thing. See, this is the thing is that that's exactly the issue of you know i'm a i'm one of sam sweet's silent unseen admirers but not We've anymore been talking about him a lot today yeah i know i i broke i broke the barrier and yeah. i don't know how i feel about it but he's probably not listening anyway definitely not how dare you <laughs> uh, definitely I, listening. I have a i have a couple other projects i could i could promote here if this is the promotional part 
Yes. This the- is, you know what? This whole thing is the promotional part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it's we, when we the- wake up in the morning, it's the promotional part. I mean, sometimes you you might get a guest who's really you can tell they're really there to give everyone a hard sell, <laughs> and I'm I'm that type of guest. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I had through through my uh, you know I call it the works of love imprint and homage to the Wright Morris uh, novel. Amen. And that's where I released the I released the Benjamin Dean Wilson record. Uh, I don't know, my world famous, uh, internationally distributed and admired tract about Doug Yule of the Velvet Underground <laughs> can be purchased through this imprint. <laughs> uh, and I'm, you know, my next thing, you know, I really thought that I was getting way too much money from literary publishing. So, <laughs> so my next big project is a zine that I'm printing at home. Oh my God. <laughs> And this is a, it's going to be, it's a, it's a, it's a compendium, a guide of every Halloween themed TV episode that I watched from, you know, the year of my birth till 2004, the year I graduated high school. And this includes episodes that aired before I was born that I saw in my lifetime. Jesus. Uh, and it's, uh, I call it free associations. It's, so they're, they're less reviews than my associations of, uh, you know, what this episode makes me think of in my life. So it's, a, it's got some deeply personal stuff in it. Um, I love and, that. I can't wait to read that. Is the My So Called oh, Life Halloween episode mentioned? It, 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 it is, and it's an yes. editor's pick. Oh. <gasps> So right right now you can on my uh, my works of love website you can access it through my uh, normal my uh, regular lukegettis.com. You can purchase the preview edition, Ooh. which offers a selection of picks from A through D, and then in October, uh, it, I'm going to release the complete edition with which numbers uh, like a hun- more than a hundred pages. Okay, I am on that website right now, making that purchase. You're doing such cool shit. You are. You really are. It seems. It, I mean, I agree. I definitely agree. <laughs> it seems like it would be easier for me if I would just like focus on one thing. Mm. Like I'm sure, like my agent or whoever is not happy that I'm not like turning out a, a great marketable book. Where I'm like, you know what I want to do is like I want to treat you know, thinking about old TV episodes as a full-time job for a couple months so I can pound out this zine that I'll sell 10 copies of. But, you know, that's the way I roll. Yeah. I saw an agent on Twitter tell people, just so you know, your agent's not sitting around waiting on you and that should be comforting. (laughs) And it actually was comforting. (laughs) I don't believe that though. I think if you know if you have an agent who is like you know also like Michael Shabon's agent or whatever like okay but uh <laughs> no I think my I would like to think that you know my own agent is at least like one of my silent admirers one of the unseen um unseen fans one of the ifs one of the ifs for sure well, if your agent's listening, can they confirm that to us at some point? I mean, I really hope I hope that he's not. 
<laughs> I sort of hope no one, I hope, I hope, you know, I'm, I wish you a, a wide audience, but you know, for this episode, you know, I feel like maybe people will turn it off a couple minutes in and that's okay with me. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it would, what it is to listen to this episode. So if you made it to the end, I wouldn't congratulate you, but I, I would just like, I would just ask you to, to think about it. Think about, <laughs> think about your life. <laughs> I would say like, I'm not as bad as you think I sound. No. I, I mean, you are, are you, you are me? as bad I, as that. <laughs> yeah. You're definitely worse than that in a great way. I usually don't actually laugh. I usually fake laugh when people come on. <laughs> yeah. I'm a monster, but I love talking to you. You're funny. I mean, that's good. I guess that's okay. It's just like sometimes you hear yourself and you're like, I don't even know if I believe what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, or I, I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm saying. Alex, Alex confessed recently that he just lies all the time. That's yeah. I mean, I feel, I didn't even feel like it was a confession. I thought it was just assumed. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's sometimes it's, I mean, I think I understand where Alex is coming from and it's just like easier to lie. Mm -hmm. It's easier for everyone involved to lie. Absolutely. There's so many situations where you just have to get through. <laughs> you just have to get through. Yeah. It's just like this podcast. <laughs> Every podcast. Lindsay. You know, I think it's because Alex and I are like, we're, we're pretty layered individuals. <laughs> Okay, and yeah, right, righteous, righteous, righteous. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes it's just like, you know, I could give it to you. I could give it to you real, but <laughs> it would take too long. It would take too long to explain what's, what, what, what's up. <laughs> I can't wait for the time when we have Luke back on and he opens with, all right, I'm going to be giving it to you real for the next hour. <laughs> That Cincinnati fuck that. style. This is only part one. We have to yeah, have part, part two. Oh, yeah. I need to be giving I, it to me real. Yeah, I, exactly. I don't know if you've done any like themed holiday episodes, but Ooh. you know, when this this Halloween, you know, I I have a feeling like the podcasts are going to be knocking down my door to talk about this. Hell yeah! But you know, I could I could add you know I could add you to the list. Get we us have on first the waiting dips, list. Yeah. Okay. We have for what is it called? First refusal. We have first refusal. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't like that term. It, it uh, <laughs> you just sent a chill down my spine. I know that Halloween. I know that's on my uh, that's on my contract or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It okay. seems inevitable. It does. Why it, wouldn't you refuse it? Yeah, it happens to all of us. <laughs> Literally everybody. Luke, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. People should go get the book if they haven't. It's called Heart of Junk. And uh, you definitely have to type his name into Google, find the website, click around. Just do there's it. a lot. There's, I mean, there's, there's probably not as inviting as Sam Sweet's website. Which no, you it's pretty also inviting. It's pretty inviting. Yeah, that's samsweet.info. Um, and it's uh, lukegeddes.com. I love the I just, pink. It's a nice pink. I, I just changed it to pink pretty recently. I thought like we need some color here. I just like, you know, I'll I'll finish shortly. But you know, I remember <laughs> when I was coming up, 
as a, a wannabe writer and you would go to an author's website and they would have like a blog and you would learn so much about them and like who they were as people and you would see their interests and now mm -hmm. it's like now all you see is just like their idiotic thoughts on Twitter that don't even like tell you anything about who they are as people. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I wanted my website to like confuse people, I think, and see like, oh, this is just some weird guy as opposed to like, this is just about a book or whatever. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm mesmerized by your screen printed t-shirts right now. Yeah. Oh, those man. feel very up your alley, Lindsay. Yes. I, love I, I have a few. I've got a few if you want to order one, but email me ahead of time because some of them turned out bad and I don't want to send you a bad one. Oh, I, I love the rock and roll madness one. That's a good and one. Oh, yeah. The Purple People Eater. My kids love that song. That was my first favorite song. That and the Big Bopper. And oh, my I really God. feel my taste just emerge out of those two songs. My six-year-old was telling the neighbor, uh, yeah, my favorite musician is the Big Papa. You know, <laughs> hello, baby. <laughs> you know, Chantilly Waste. <laughs> this is Towns? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they were like, wait, that, what? I that I mean, that's so heartening to me that the that Big Bop, the Big Bopper is still out there reaching the youth. Oh, hell yeah. They're obsessed with American Pie. So they know all about the plane oh. crash that killed Buddy Holly and and the Big Bopper and Richie Buddy Valley. Holly and the others. And the others. Yep. <laughs> yep. Including the Big Bopper. And uh, yeah, so they know a lot about all that. And they love Buddy Holly, too. Buddy Holly, uh, I just think constantly like, oh, man, it's a weird thing to think about. But like, what if he lived? What if Isn't Buddy that Holly? Crazy? And he was a baby. He was like, what, 22? Really? He was, yeah, he was like. I think 22 he was like in he was like a year and a half into his music career like imagine Buddy Holly responding to the Beatles or Buddy Holly responding to like punk well, they they absolutely loved him oh yeah and that's why they called themselves the Beatles after the crickets um so yeah you you can just see like that he would have I mean and his stuff his stuff still slaps <laughs> you know that's yeah I don't think like the big bopper had that much more left to him. Like, yeah. I don't know if like he was definitely would... of his time. <clears throat> yeah. But Buddy Holly, I feel like was ready to like get into some shit in the seventies. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. God, yeah. can you imagine those Buddy Holly's records in the seventies? They would have been nuts. I, I really feel like he, he would have been a new wave guy, the new wave kids would have really taken him in i mean they did anyway but if he could have been there for it you know that's my that's my next novel buddy holly fan fiction please that, that sounds good do it um okay goodbye luke okay <laughs> have a good night luke all right bye That was so good. I loved it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I wasn't kidding. Like, I really find Luke fucking hilarious. And uh, that's that's the ideal person I want to talk to. Just another lunatic like me. Just another fucking lunatic out it's in just, the Midwest. It's great to talk to people who aren't like, and what about my brand? And like, should I be on Twitter? And what should I? It's like, 
he's he's just doing stuff that he wants to do that he finds yes and it's all it's all amazing i mean truly the the shirts the zines the posters all that shit is fucking wild uh you should check it out it's cool i had a zine in high school did you it's time to bring it back yeah it was called pant load (laughs) (laughs) there's four issues i feel like that foretold your marriage to ben probably probably yeah i could see that (laughs) (laughs) that's a compliment by the way (laughs) oh man um how you been uh i've been i've been good yeah 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 what about you good i just got back from ragdale i i um did i hosted through story studio in chicago i hosted a retreat there I don't know if that's how you put it. I was the writer mm-hmm. conducting the sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cult was, leader? I was the cult leader. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was 11 students and we um, did a bunch of sessions and then broke out and did, you know, writing time. And they have mm-hmm. an amazing chef there who who makes all the meals. And um, it was like this beautiful property, like North, like in Lake Forest on a prairie that's where it is mm-hmm. oh yeah it's really close for some reason i thought it was like way north yeah no it's it's i i thought that too but it was like a 40 minute drive oh okay cool yeah um so that was great i didn't get as much writing as i thought i would but i did mm-hmm. i touched a story i messed with it <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot more than i've done in a long time so that was yeah. nice that's great yeah now I'm home on the range. That's awesome. I let's see what's been going on. I've been in like a serious cleaning mode. Mm. Not I'm not talking like normal domestic duties, which I embrace daily. Uh, I mean, like getting rid of books, getting rid of just like getting rid of things. Mm-hmm. And it's been making me feel really good. That stuff can start to like close in on you, you know? Yeah. I don't think I realized how much it was like impact. Like I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I think it was having a, a weird impact on me. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just, and part of it is even though this like little stupid podcast that we have that nobody listens to, <laughs> we still get sent a shitload of books. Constantly. Like we're nobody especially me. And it's like, I have so many goddamn books just from the show. And I'm also the kind of asshole who buys books. So it's like, it's too many books. I, I usually go to the library, but yeah, I, I feel like so cool that books are sent to me, but like, I know I should put a, I should put a picture of my um, nightstand right now because it's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, no, a hundred percent same way. And like, I have, when I was going through books to donate, there were so many things that I had multiple copies of that I had no idea I had multiple copies of mm-hmm. unrelated to the show. And then for the show, I feel like this happens a lot. Maybe it happens more now than when we started, but people will send us the, the, the arc and then they'll send us the finished copy too. Yes. And I'm like, listen, very cool. Thank you. But not necessary. Yes. Totally unnecessary. Yes. Like, the arc is enough uh but also thank you yeah but also thank you (laughs) kinda um 
Yeah. Um, what else is going on? I don't know. I've been ben had Ben had a sports take, but I don't remember oh. what it was. Oh. So we'll just leave everyone in suspense there. Next week. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a fun one. Oh, we didn't talk much about the book, but I will say Heart of Junk is a good book. I enjoyed it uh when I read it two years ago. Um and the interview I did with Luke on Heavy Feather Review is it's good. So check it out if you want to read good. if you if you want to read more about the book itself. We kind of, you know, this was like my ideal episode where we just bullshit for an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. um Heart of Junk is really good and it's very dark despite the cover. And uh it's just a fucking weird book. It's great. That's my favorite description of a book. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. Same. Absolutely. And uh I feel like the yeah, I have no thoughts actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is um exactly what an invisible fan would say. Yeah, that's what an if would do. Mm-hmm. Not think. That's right. All right, All right, bud. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to hear you read. So just think about that. I mean, that makes it worse, but that's okay.